Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. morning, church. That video is a number of years old. If you know the rest of the story, Nick is married. He's got a beautiful wife. She's beautiful inside and out, and he's got kids. God's good. And if you've ever seen them interviewed, him and his wife, they absolutely adore each other. It's a beautiful thing. So how are you doing? What's the title of the message that the Lord has put on my heart this morning? How are you doing? James, how are you doing? Okay. Pam, how are you doing? One all the way back there. You're both number one. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a term we kind of throw around. The other day I drove through a place to get my morning coffee. And the person at the window asked a question, and I, silly me, I thought they meant it. How are you doing? Well, 538. Here's your card back. Well, I guess I just keep it to myself. And I, I went to Chipotle. When you're a man of God, you can eat places like that. They're not going to poison me. <laughs> and, you know, you've you got to order your food as, as you walk up there. And, and they're busy. And the person says, what do you have? And I said, how are you doing today? She said, excuse me, what? I said, how are you doing? And she was flabbergasted. She said, I'm, thanks for asking. I'm, I'm doing okay. That's a question we get asked a lot, how are you doing? Because you know what? It It matters. Our attitude towards our life has a profound effect on how we answer that question. I have very, you have very, very limited influence on the circumstances of our life. Yesterday I went to get my concealed carry permit renewed and it's been five years, and they have to take a picture and you do your fingerprints and all that. And the deputy sheriff, he said, okay, sit here, and we'll take a picture. And I sat there, and he fooled for a minute. He took a picture. I said, I, I'm sorry, that, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I can give you, man. It's just, just don't stare at it. You'll be okay. But we don't have any influence. But we have absolute influence of how we, our attitude. 
My verse this morning is Psalm 23 and 1. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That, that verse one day, a number, many number of years ago, became very profound to me. I had been visiting a lady in the hospital. When I met her, she was 88 years old, and she was maybe 100 pounds. And I'm going to guess 15 or 20 pounds of that was a tumor that was in her stomach. Her name was Madeline. She was dying of cancer. She had contracted diabetes at 40 years old, and it had cost her to go blind. Her parents were long dead. Her grandparents were long dead. She never had a brother or sister. She never married. She never had any children. So she spent most of her life by herself. And here she lay in the hospital room. And the day before this visit, I rejoiced with heaven because Madeline gave her heart to God. This was going to be my first visit with her. I didn't know it would be my last visit with her. But this would be my first visit with her where she's my, my sister in the Lord. Several months earlier, God had put it on my heart out of nowhere to memorize the entire 23rd Psalm. I've learned with him, you don't ask why, you just, just do. You just, just obey. And so I, 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 it took me several weeks, but I memorized it all the way through. And I walked into Madeline's room, hospital room that, that morning, and there she laid in the bed, and it, looked, it literally looked like somebody had put a soccer ball in her stomach. That's how swelled up she was with the, the tumor. And at her age, there was nothing they could do for her. They literally told me we're making her comfortable until the inevitable happens. And I walk into the hospital room. She's now been a Christian less than 24 hours. And she's laying in the bed, and her hands are lifted heavenward. And she's crying. And you could, you could just, the, the weightiness of God in the room was tangible, David. And I walked into the room and, and trying not to interrupt it. And she called me Father Mike. She didn't know any better. And, and she said, Father Mike, is that you? And I said, yes, Madeline. She goes, I felt you when you walked in the, in the, in the building 10 minutes ago. So it was a huge hospital. And I said, Madeline, honey, you okay? And she said, yes, Father, I'm just... God is so good to us. He is so, so good to us. And I looked at her laying there. And, and she's dying. And she's alone. She's filled with cancer. And she hasn't known him 24 hours. And she's literally crying about the goodness of God. That, that ruined me for complaining. 
And after I hugged her for a few moments and I sat down and she said, Father Mike, she said, when I was a little girl, my grandma used to read me a story out of the Bible. She said, I, I don't know where it's at. All I remember it being about God being our shepherd. She said, do you know that story? And I said, you mean the one that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want it? She said, yes. I said, actually, Madeline, I, I do know that story. She goes, could you read it to me? And I said, no, hon, I can't. I don't have my Bible with me, but that's okay. Because God prepared us for this moment. And I shared with her, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I read, or I recited to her the rest of the chapter, and a few minutes later we had prayer, and I walked out of the room, and when I came back the next day, she was gone. Let's pray. Father, you know I've struggled to to fully capture what I believe you have spoke to my heart. So even more than usual, God, I lean on you today to share your heart with this people. Holy Spirit, you're the real teacher. You're the real preacher. You're the, you're the one that makes us to know truth and to guide us into it. So I ask you to do what you do so well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. David. David was a, a young man who, like us, he, he knows what it's like to, to struggle. I know a number of years ago they came out with a movie, David, and Richard Gere played the character. David looked nothing like Richard Gere. The Bible is almost polite when it describes him, but he was basically a tousle-haired, red-headed kid with freckles. He was most likely the result of an affair that David's dad had had, and so he wasn't a favored son. When the prophet came to anoint the next king over Israel, because the prophet was told by God it would be one of Jesse's sons, David wasn't even invited to the party. David knew what it was like to be an outsider. David knew what it was like to struggle. Anybody else know what that feels like? He knew what it was not, he would like to not be loved or appreciated or respected. The shepherd in that day, I know we have an idyllic view of the shepherd, the shepherd in that day was the, the bottom of the totem pole. He was the guy that hangs on the back of the garbage truck. He was the guy that, as necessary as that job is, most of us don't grow up thinking, I want to do that for my life. And that's what a shepherd was. It was a demanding job. You, you stayed outside 24-7. Wind, cold, rain, snow. You traveled with the animals. Everything you had, you had to take with you, and you spent weeks most of the time alone it's not a favored job 
And David was responsible to make sure that the, they had good ground to eat and make sure that the, the predators didn't kill the animals. He knew what it was like to sleep with one eye open in case something happened in the middle of the night. He knew what it was like when something attacked the sheep. There was nobody else. It was just him. And I have no doubt that one evening, David sat down, and it was the end of a long day, and David is thinking about, I take care of these sheep. But who takes care of me? And then it hit him. The Lord's my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. You know what he's literally seeing, saying? I don't need anything more than that. I don't need anything more than that than to know that the Lord's my shepherd. I say that because we, we live in a time, just watch the news, of unprecedented depression. Suicide rates continue to just inch up and up and up and up. In spite of the fact that we're living at a time when we have never had more. I mean, we have never had more. It, it literally has never been easier than it is right now. Let me know what I'm talking about. You can, they've even got places, Grubhub and other places, you can get on your phone and by pressing a finger a few times, you can have food delivered to you. I know for some of you young folks, that's just, that just seems the norm. Man, I, growing up, it was incredible because one day our town got a McDonald's. And that was just crazy. I mean, this is, what are they going to think of next? You don't have to wait an hour and a half for food. You just got to get in your car and drive there. They didn't even have a drive through at the McDonald's. And you went inside and you ordered the food. And pretty quickly, they gave it to you. It was like, oh my gosh. And now we can, we can, we can pick up a phone. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, during our live feedback, a minister in Pakistan typed a comment during our live feed. What, what, what's happening here in this room, there are literally people on the other side of the planet logging in and, and watching. We've never, we've never had it so good. Our cars... I remember going out and buying a car and looking in windows at cars as a, as a young man. And I'd see a car with 60,000 miles on it. And I was like, oh, there's no way. That thing is wore out. How do they expect to sell that car? It's got 60,000 miles on it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Now you go and you look and you go, oh, this thing's only got 60,000 miles. And you don't even turn the key. You just press a button and it starts. Just 
We used to have throttles and chokes. You used to have to do a, a scenario to get your car to start, and you had starting instructions if it was warmed up. You had starting instructions if it was cold. And now we just... We even make that face when we do it. Cleveland Clinic has, you don't even have to go to the hospital now for a doctor visit. It's an app on your iPad or your iPhone. You just, hey, dude, look at this. Is that normal? We've never, we've, we, we, we honestly have never had it so good. We, 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 you, we buy clothes. We buy things for the house with a couple presses of the button. It's almost become addictive. I need something. I'm, I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I need something. I think of it. I'm a, a stoplight, and I remember I need something at the house. Boop, 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 boop there. It'll be there two days. Amazon will drop it off. Unless time that I could have found my keys 40 years ago, I've ordered it and it's on its way. We've never had it so good. Every kind of food you can imagine. Our biggest struggle here isn't are we going to eat? It's what are we going to eat? And yet, we have statistics, study after study proves we have never been more depressed. Anxiety-related disorders are now the number one in the United States. They say that upwards of 60 million people in this country are affected with some kind of anxiety-related disorder. We have young girls who don't eat, or they'll eat and then throw up because they don't want to get fat. We have young boys who just can't sit still, and we think that's a problem, and, and so we, we drug them. And people can't sleep. People, and they react in negative ways, and, and the dichotomy of that is just strange because we have never had it so good and yet we have never felt so bad. We've never been more anxious. We've never been more depressed. We've never been more argumentative. We've never been more easily offended. What are you talking about? Sometime recently, I'll... Uh, walking into a store, and I, I saw a lady coming behind me. I'm just, I'm, I'm an old school gentleman. I, I held the door. She walked through. There was no thank you. It was like, I didn't need you to hold the door. I said, well, come on back in. We'll do this again. Step back out here for just a moment. We've never been more confused. We got men who don't know that they're men. We have women who don't know that they're women. 
even in the church in the we don't we don't know what a man is anymore we don't know what a woman looks like we don't know what masculinity acts out like we don't know what femininity acts out like we've never been more fake Man, there's some Photoshop tools. There's some tools. Listen, these things are so good, they make me look good. You can take a picture of you. And a few more clicks. Everything that's wrong about you is fixed. Come on. Why do you fix it? So you can post it. You can put it on Facebook and you can get likes. And that's even more damning to your soul because you know that ain't you. And so, it, it, listen, listen, it's a trick of the enemy because you had to change how you looked when you posted the picture. So when people like it, it's really telling you that they don't like you, they like the fake you. And so the depression cycle, it was depression that caused you to alter how you looked in the photo in the first place. And now the depression cycle just keeps going down. Listen, we're going somewhere with this, I promise. We've never been more in bondage. See recently that lady that crawled through the drive-thru window at McDonald's. Mad to beat somebody up because she was told they were out of chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, people. It's not like this was a Reese cup. That'd be understandable. You could slap somebody around for a Reese cup, but a chicken, a chicken nugget. A chicken nugget in bondage. We listen to me for a moment. There, I'm not. I'm not trying to be funny. There's. We, 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 are, we are so inwardly unhappy that we, we become in bondage. We become enslaved. Scripture says that whatever you yield your members to, you become a slave to. And, and that's what we do. It, it could be chicken McNugget or it could be something else. Pornography is now one of the top seven industries in the whole world. Hundreds of billions of dollars. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And women have their own pornography. It's called a romance novel. Men are enticed by what they see. Women are enticed by what they feel. Okay, got quiet. It's truth. For a man to sit around and view images of a, a woman, especially after he's married and committed to somebody, he lusts after her, he yearns for that. 
says wrong for a wife to lose herself into a, an emotional experience by reading a book that she's doing the same thing but in a manner a woman would. It's truth, folks. We've never been more in bondage. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. What has always struck me in that list, and how many can see this happening right now? This is being played out in our culture, in our face, but in the middle of that list is the word unthankful. And remember, the verse started by saying it would be dangerous. Perilous times are coming. Why? Because men would be lovers of their own selves. They would be haters of those that are good. But in the midst of that, Paul is telling us it's dangerous because people will be unthankful. And he's talking to the church here. Do you know that it's dangerous to live your life unthankful? Anybody else ever seen a spoiled brat? I saw parents pull a, a prank on their son that went really south. He was 16 years old and he got his license and so they told him for his birthday they were going to buy him a vehicle to drive. Now, you could tell by the house that they lived in that these people are well-to-do. They've got a lot of money. And as a prank, they went out and bought an old pickup truck. It wasn't total junk, but it was junky. About like what most of us had for our first vehicle. How many remember your first vehicle? Oh, my goodness. I remember looking at my first car, and I, I, man, it, it looked good. It, you know, it, it, if you shined it, it looked good. And I, I, I asked him, why are you selling it so cheap? I mean, I thought it was cheap. And they said, well, it, well here, I'll show you. And they, 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 they opened the driver's door, and they, they pulled up the carpeting. And there was a hole... I mean, you could, you could drop a small child through the floor. And they said, well, you can see, there's, it's, it's like that on the other side as well. But I, all I saw was, the, was two things. It, it, I could make it look good, and it was a 65 Mustang. All right, so it's not that big a hole. I can't fit through it. 
So they bring this, this, this kind of junky pickup truck out in the driveway, and, and they got some family around, and they bring him out of the house with a blindfold, and they take the blindfold off, and they go, there's your truck. And he's like, And there was no moment where it's funny to him. It's like you, he just went off. Blankety blank this and blankety blank that. It's, he's, it's there in the driveway and the garage door's open. He runs into the garage and he grabs a baseball bat, a metal aluminum bat, and he starts smashing the windows in, screaming at his parents. How dare you give me this? <laughs> listen, folks, listen to me for a moment. If we're not careful as believers, we, we, we begin to look just like that to God. I don't... I don't I don't know what happened to the rest of that story, but I can guarantee you this. If Dad and Mom did go out and buy him another vehicle, they did not enjoy it. Um, probably if that was Gail Beth and I, we would have said, you know, this started as a joke, but now the joke's on you. That is your truck. Have at it. Thankfully, we don't have unthankful kids. unthankful and think of all that we have was honored to step into a church building in Honduras I I have the picture at home I wasn't able to find it and it was cement block building just like this but they never did have money to put a roof on and they did, never did have money to fill in the window holes, and they never did have money to put doors on it. And they did have, never did have money to buy any furniture inside. And they did not have, ever have money to buy chairs or a pulpit. But somewhere, somewhere, along, somewhere sometime along the line, somebody donated enough money for them to buy the blocks, to build the blocks, and... That's as far as it got, and the median wage in Honduras was a little over a dollar a day. So you can imagine it would take a lot of money. But they gathered in that building, and they worshipped, and they worshipped, and they worshipped. You may have seen the picture or the video recently. They had flooding in the Philippines. And there was a gathering of Philippine believers in a building just a little bit smaller than this. Certainly not as ornate or as nice. But their building had flooded, and there was water this deep in the building. And on Sunday morning, there they stood, worshiping God standing in waist-deep water.
I think I know why we're so unthankful sometimes. I think it's because we're ungrateful for what we have. Used to be a word you don't hear anymore. Ingrate. My grandma Ellen, she she had the ability to take the most simple word and just the way she would say it, it sounded like a curse word. She was kind of hard in her features. She was just that just the way she was. I remember she'd she'd get mad at grandpa. And just the way she'd say it, she'd say, oh, just shut your pie hole. And we're like, because <gasps> it sounded like a curse. Grandma would give you something if you didn't say thank you. If you took that and turned to walk away, you get back here, you ingrate. Give that back to me. part of where we learn to say thank you. Learn to say thank you to God when I found myself, even after coming to the Lord, losing it felt like everything. That wasn't necessarily true, but it felt like it. I, I think, I think we're, we're ungrateful because we are measuring with the wrong stick. I, I think that spouses aren't appreciated in their marriages because we measure them with the wrong stick. If a husband doesn't look like that, make as much money as that, provide that, act like that. You know, the guy in the movie, the guy on the show. They don't look like, act like that. Why, why can't you be more like... Looky there. See what he did for his wife? It's a movie. Husbands are no different. She don't look like that. She don't act like that. Come on. And so you take this fake, idealized image and you compare your spouse to that and they can never live up to that because that ain't even real. Now you feel like you're missing something. You don't have the big house. You don't have the big car. You don't, you don't have things. You don't... I went to... A, I went, JJ and I, a couple years ago, went to a garage sale. I was really surprised when we saw the house. I'm not exaggerating. These people had spent more money on landscaping than our whole property was worth. He, was, he had passed away, and he was a, a lawyer for a law firm in Cleveland. They represented the Cleveland Browns. They had all sorts of big clients. He was the top dog at this law firm, and there his wife sat having a, a garage sale. Somewhere along the line, she had lost the value of things. You know, when there's a garage sale, you're supposed to mark the prices down. 
So she'd find something that was still new in the box, and it said $199. She'd sell for $175. Yeah, good luck with that. I just happened to look, and the, the guy had some shoes, some really nice shoes. Looks like he'd never worn them, maybe worn them once. They were Nikes. Price stickers still on the boxes. Four, five hundred dollars for shoes. My shoes also have a big N on it for New Balance. They're 19 bucks at Walmart. Or you can get them $21 at Amazon, and they're delivered, okay? And she had those shoes. She had a couple hundred dollars on them. I'm looking at them, and she said, do you want those? I said, yeah, but we're not even close in price. And she said, well, this is, this is late Saturday afternoon. She's had this garage sale for three days, and there the shoes sit, you know. She said, well, what are you thinking? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking 10. She got mad at me. My heart in me wouldn't let me to say, lady, he ain't ever going to wear them. So we, we poked around for a few minutes and got ready to leave. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll take 10. He ain't never going to wear them. That's exactly what she said. I've wore those puppies out. I may never own another pair, but I got that pair. I think we're unthankful because we're ungrateful. We use the wrong measuring stick. If our house, if our car, a friend of mine in another place was complaining about his piece of junk car. It's a $30,000 car. What do you mean piece of junk? Most people in this world walk. I think we're ungrateful because we, we got the wrong measuring stick. We, we measure against this fake stuff on TV or the fake stuff on Facebook. Somebody says, is this person your friend on Facebook? That, that's where the level of friendship has gotten to. <laughs> no, we're, no, we're connected on Facebook. That's not a friend. Let me know what I'm talking about. I, I think we, we need to adjust our measuring stick. David starts off and he says this, The Lord's my shepherd. What else is there? I shall not want. What, what, what else? What, what, what more? You see, it's not God plus. That ought to be our measuring stick for gratefulness. It's not God and all he does for you. Come on now. It's God. I wonder 
if there would be an attitude change in us believers, if our measuring stick for thankfulness is everything above this we're thankful for, and that measuring stick be that I'm breathing. When was the last time you just thanked God for being alive? Statistically, 57,000 people didn't wake up last night in the United States of America. And you take a breath. You're alive. You know what, you know what that means? That means that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you face, God hasn't given up hope. He gave you one more breath, and then one more breath, and then one more breath. He is the ultimate optimist for no other purpose than hope. And the enemy knows that if you would get out of your whining and complaining about how bad it is, I promise you, I understand. I understand in this room the, the depth and multiplicity of hurt is, is, is almost unimaginable, but I promise you there is somebody who has it worse. And if our level of measurement started with, I'm alive, and he's my shepherd, there's nothing more than I need than that. I shall not want nothing more than our level of gratitude and thankfulness would rise quickly if we realize that we are so blessed. I'll close quickly with these two stories. We were preparing our first missions trip to Honduras, and we had a number of people going with us. And one of them was a young lady who just lived up the street from us, her and her family. And as she told the story, it was the evening before we're going to leave the next morning for Honduras. They struggled to make ends meet as a family, and she remembered opening up her refrigerator and digging around in there and and all she had was a pound of hamburger and a couple of boxes of hamburger helper in the cupboard. And she got upset with God. God, I don't understand. My husband and myself both work jobs. We both pay our tithes. And that's what we have to eat. That's what we have to eat. Is hamburger and hamburger helper? The next day, she's on her way to Honduras. And two days into the trip, we stop for a few moments at the side of the road, and this little girl comes up, and she's just the tiniest little thing. And her legs are just ate up with bug bites. This lady who was 
gone with us. She has spent time working as a nurse. So she, she sees the infection. And this little girl is just, just begging for some food. This lady, like myself, got to get up early in the morning and go, step outside in the city of Siquatepeque, Honduras. And there are kids naked sleeping on the sidewalk. They have, some of them have been blessed to find a piece of cardboard to put over them. They sleep on the sidewalk because the sidewalk conducts heat that it absorbed during the day and at night that's warmer than sleeping somewhere else. And so they sleep on the sidewalk because it's warmer and they're naked and it gets cool at night. And, and you, can, you can literally stand here and you can see a kid here and you can see a kid there and you could see a kid there and you could see a kid there and... This isn't an occasional thing. As we walked through the town square, you had to keep moving because they would come up to you begging, begging for just anything. And we were told to be careful to be, to be seen giving it away because it, it could turn into a riot. If these people knew that you had and you would give away, you had to be careful. We, lived, we, we stayed in the nicest hotel they had in Siquatepeque, Honduras, but it was barely a Motel 6 here in the States, but it was the best they had. And yet outside the lobby door is an armed guard standing there with an M16, a 14-year-old kid with an M16 to keep people from the outside trying to get in. That'll change you, folks. Worship with believers. Went to minister at the, the seminary. Three or four hundred people there studying to become pastors. And we were asked to minister there at, that, at the seminary. And, and our, our guide told us, now listen, when, listen when, you, when you get up to preach, whatever you do, don't, don't, don't say, lift your hands and worship. He said, I know you do that in the States, but don't, don't do that down here. And I said, well, Lamar, why? He says, because they will. I said, okay. He says, and then an hour later, they'll stop so you can keep preaching. Well, come on, man. I wanted to say, you stretching it just a little bit there, buddy? You stretching it just a little bit? No. It's the end of the day. It's hot. Room is packed. Several hundred seminary students. They got up front. There's no announcements. Everybody stand to your feet. Let's open with prayer. The best way I can describe it, it's as if you poured gasoline on the floor and somebody threw a match in. And they absolutely exploded praying. And somewhere on about an hour and 20 minutes later, after 10 hours in school, an hour and 20 minutes later, they're done opening with prayer. It was so hot in the room, I thought I was going to pass out. And they prayed like it meant something.
God help us. We're so unthankful. We're so ungrateful. She came home from that trip. And I'll tell it to you just like she told it to us. She opened the refrigerator and there was that pound of hamburger. And she began to weep. And she said, God, thank you. I've got hamburger to feed my family. Would you stand to your feet this morning? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.